thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, whole food life that totally rocks. You're listening to Shiny Healthy You, the straight-talking natural health show for busy women with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. Today's guest has an amazing podcast that is consistently at the top of the charts. I first came across her work. We were both in the alumni of a podcasting course way back when, and I was instantly drawn to her bite-sized episodes about mindfulness. I've brought her on the show today to show you that mindfulness doesn't have to be complicated or complex. It can easily be broken down into small chunks, which totally takes out the procrastination, people. So let's pick her brain today about how we, as busy women, can slow down, relax, and go with the flow. Please welcome to the show the very lovely Rachel Cable. Woo! Hi, everybody. <laughs> Awesome lady, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Excellent, thank you. I've been so looking forward to this chat because I was just saying before we hit record, I, I have been following your podcast. You are in my little podcast app and I do love the fact that every, you know, every week or so you get these just little bite-sized snippets where it's like, okay, well, I'm only going on a 15-minute drive or I'm only, you know, going down to the shops, but I've got time for one. I've always got time for one. Oh, thank you. Now, Rachel, can you tell us all how you became interested in your mindfulness practice in the first place? How did it all start for you? Yeah, absolutely. It started, I think, when I was quite young. I had a lot of stress from pretty much 11 or 12 years old. I started feeling, you know, very very focused on the future and trying to predict everything that was going to happen and ruminating a lot over the past and the mistakes that I thought that I had made. And that became kind of a pattern of thinking for me. I never really felt present or appreciated the moment that I I was in. I always felt like I had to be working towards the next thing or, you know, thinking about all the things that I've done and trying to learn from them, but actually just kind of mentally beating myself up in a way. So I think that's kind of when my interest in psychology started and I just wanted to understand my own mind a lot more really and I went through high school, I studied a bit of psychology here and there and then decided that I wanted to do it at uni so I got into my course and in the second year we had to do an internship so I volunteered on the helpline at the Anxiety Recovery Centre And that was where I really discovered mindfulness and started exploring this practice myself. We were trained in a couple of different techniques, which we explained to callers if they called up and they wanted to know a little bit more about that. And I just started practicing it myself because I wanted to understand it and be able to share my own experiences. And the more that I did it, the more I kind of realized how often I wasn't in the moment. You know, even something as simple as spending time with the people I love, I was always distracted by other things, thinking about what I had to do or thinking about something that I said that I shouldn't have said or just, you know, my mind just went completely away from the present moment all the time. So the more I started to practice, the more I found it really beneficial for me. I started sleeping better and um, being more creative and enjoying those creative processes and my relationships started to improve. I found a lot more meaning and joy in my everyday life 
it just impacted me in so many different ways. And I decided that I wanted to start sharing those experiences and the things that I'd learned. And so I started my blog and then the podcast and things were just snowballed from there. Yeah, and they really did snowball too. I find it really interesting. This this seems to be a common thread a lot with, you know, all kinds of practitioners and, and helpers and um, healers out there in that like you ended up at that helpline at the Anxiety Recovery Center helping these anxious people and they they become like a mirror, don't they? It's like the universe sends us what we need to learn about ourselves by showing us, you know, similar people and, and similar things. And it's like because you were helping out there, then you had to learn the mindfulness for yourself. I see this so often in practitioners. Oh, absolutely. I definitely agree with this whole idea of you teach what you most want to learn and it's it's been very much like that for me and often I have listeners who email me and they want to hear about a specific subject and you know it's so funny how many times I read these emails and the words just completely resonate with me and it's amazing how the more I start to explore that subject the more things that I find in common with um, these struggles and it's just it's just funny how often it does happen I agree. I love that. So how did you get started? You know, once you're working at this helpline and you wanted to start your own mindfulness practice, what did you do first? Well, I was still studying psychology at the time, so I finished my Bachelor of Psychological Science and then I started my coaching, counselling and coaching certificate at Deakin Uni as well and finished that and really loved it and that was when I discovered more of the coaching side of things and just really enjoyed that whole idea of working with people who wanted to just improve little things and to find more meaning in life and I really resonated in working with people like this because they were very much like myself you know nothing on the outside seems overly wrong but on the inside you know you might be struggling with a lot of thoughts or um, you know just challenges with stress and overwhelm and things like that um, I've lost what the question was. <laughs> so how did you actually start to kick off your own mindfulness practice? Oh, that's right. <laughs> we um, love tangents. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> They're <cool>. my favourite thing. <laughs> um, so once I had my certificate, I just decided to start a blog and I enrolled in a blogging course and started to connect with people who were doing this whole online thing and they all had these amazing online businesses and I thought, wow, this is something that I would really, really love to do. And the more that I've just explored that area and connected with people, the more potential that I've seen for creating a business and working in this field, to me, it feels quite unique still. There's not a lot of people out there that necessarily do talk about mindfulness in the same way that I talk about mindfulness and I love that I have that kind of unique feel about the work that I do and I don't know it just it feels really meaningful to me and I love exploring new ideas I'm a very multi-passionate person so it's been a lot of fun trying new things and meeting new people and just starting this whole online thing which I never even knew existed until a couple of years ago <laughs> I know it's like the world's biggest rabbit hole isn't it oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so You've you've studied psychological science, you've studied studied counselling, so I would love to pick your brain about a couple of bits and pieces. Why does the mind wander? Is that is it just our natural state? And if having a wandering mind is our natural state, like 
is mindfulness unnatural? Like are we trying to train something out of us? Oh, that is such a great question. So for me, what's jumping out at me is um, actually a resource called The Happiness Trap by Dr. Russ Harris, and it explains quite a lot about the biology of our mind and why we do think the way that we that we do. And it's funny because we've been trained to look for danger and to keep ourselves safe. So, you know, in much older times, there might be a tiger, you know, and we're trying to keep ourselves and our families safe from this tiger. So we need to have that stress response. But the trouble with today's society is that we aren't really faced with so many life-threatening problems. We are faced with day-to-day stresses, but we have the same reaction to it. So the way that our mind works is quite natural, but being mindful is actually even more natural for us because as children, we have that very innate sense of being present and being curious about the moment and experiencing the moment for what it is. And you'll see in children as well, like their reactions to their emotions are very I'm feeling this right now, this is how I'm feeling, this is how I express it, and then I move forward. You know, as we grow older, we learn to analyze those feelings and to place judgments on those feelings and to criticize ourselves for those feelings and kind of all these other complicated aspects of it. So there's kind of two answers to your question. Yes, it is quite natural for us to worry and to predict problems, but I think at the moment that's become... um, kind of overstimulated, I guess is the right word. We're doing this too often for things which aren't as life-threatening as we perceive them to be. And secondly, secondly, being mindful is quite a natural state for us. And I think the more that I've practiced it, the more I've returned to that state and the more natural it's felt for me as well. So are we actually turning pussycats into tigers in our daily life? Yes, nice. I love that. (laughs) Definitely, yes. Yeah, right. And so how do you how do you tell yourself that it's not a tiger without kind of discounting the way that you're feeling? Well, for me, it's more about stopping the ignoring or the suppressing of emotions. So, for example, I used to be absolutely terrified of public speaking and it would bring up all these really, really strong emotions. I'd be shaking, my heart would be racing, I could feel my whole body kind of getting red and really hot and sweaty. And that's that kind of response that is telling us to either stand here and fight this problem or to run away from this problem. But the thing with public speaking is it's not necessarily that kind of life-threatening problem. In fact, sometimes it's something that we actually have to do and we have to face. So being able to have those emotions and say, you know, it's okay that I'm having these emotions and trying to understand them and be aware of them rather than say, you know, oh, I can't believe I'm having these emotions. I'm so stupid. Why would I be feeling this way? This is completely irrational. You know, often that doesn't help us when we're having a very strong feeling. So being able to say and being quite compassionate towards ourselves, being able to say, yes, I am feeling like this. It's okay. I can take a couple of deep breaths and maybe that will calm me down. Maybe it won't, but I'm just going to engage in some self-care or I'm going to journal about this and try and understand it a little bit more. Um, and the first time that I actually did a public speaking presentation voluntarily, <laughs> I <laughs> I did have to take that time to, in the weeks beforehand, I would be thinking about it and that stress response would be just kicking in over and over again. So every time that happened, it was about me 
taking a moment to take some deep breaths, maybe do something nice for myself, like go to a yin yoga class or take a bath and just let those feelings sit there, but not giving them too much power. And then the more that I did that, the less those feelings kind of took over and (laughs) called the shots. And then by the time the public speaking presentation did roll around, you know, I was nervous, but it wasn't at the point where I felt like I was just going to start crying and run off the stage because everything was going to go wrong and I couldn't handle it. You know, it was like, okay, yeah, I'm feeling nervous. That's okay because, you know, that's quite a scary thing for me to be doing. Um, and just kind of moved through it like that, being accepting and self-compassionate and understanding that those feelings are normal, but also that I don't have to so much listen to them, I guess. I don't have to let them rule the show. I can have them and still do the things that I want to do. Yeah, and if you acknowledge them as well, I think that's so important rather than telling yourself that it's not a big deal or that that it's not, you know, that it's not Mm. a very stressful thing. Yeah, definitely. And the trouble is that when we do use that kind of self-talk, you know, I shouldn't be feeling like this. I wish I wasn't feeling like this. And, you know, many of us do do that. I used to do it all the time. It starts to trigger feelings of shame. And then it makes it really difficult to talk about these feelings with the people who can support us. And we start to internalize these feelings as well. And that's kind of where they can manifest and grow stronger and get triggered by other things. And, it just can get really complicated. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like sitting in mindfulness is, you know, you have to be really one of the things you need to focus on is sitting in that non-judgment of yourself. Yeah, definitely. And that's it can be really difficult to do. And it's something that I've had to practice quite a lot myself because I did often put a lot of judgments on things. You know, if I was feeling sad, I would be like, why am I feeling sad? I shouldn't be feeling sad. And again, all those judgments that sad is wrong or sad is bad when sad is just a feeling. And sometimes we can have that feeling for no reason, you know, in the same way that sometimes we just feel happy for no reason. And that's fine too. But being able to just sit with that feeling and even explore it, you know, how does this feeling actually feel in my body? You know, for me, sadness kind of sits in my stomach and it feels a little bit heavy and my whole body feels kind of lethargic and slow and tired. Being able to explore how our feelings actually feel in our bodies is quite an interesting way to remove those labels and to explore it just as a feeling and experience it just as a feeling without all those judgments being placed on top of it and then all this pressure to kind of overcome a feeling or get rid of a feeling. Yeah, it's. I love what you said about how, you know, if you're sad, then you would be going, oh, why am I feeling sad? And it's funny because if you're feeling really happy, most people wouldn't stop and go, oh, I feel happy. Why do I feel happy? And then try and analyze it. They actually just like chill out and enjoy feeling happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny that at the other end of the spectrum, if you're feeling sad, you have to kind of, you know, you, you feel that need to rip it apart and analyze it in, you know, to, to try and get rid of it. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing to know about emotions is that there are so many levels of complexity to them, you know, from our thoughts that we might not even realize that we're having to our hormones, you know, emotions don't have to always make sense. So us trying to make sense of them all the time doesn't always work (laughs) (laughs) so true so true so true and yeah and then you know if you live in byron you have to check what phase the moon's in and (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, well, even like looking at the things that you eat and, you know, your childhood experiences, all these different things which can make up, I guess, the patterns of our emotions. It, there's, you could spend your whole life probably researching it and still not fully understand why they happen the way that they do. <laughs> yeah, which leads me to think that it is not for us to actually dive deep and figure out. We just need to feel what we're feeling and go with it. Yeah, and sometimes there can be a lot of power in that as well, you know. It takes a lot of courage, I think, to feel a feeling and to let ourselves feel that. And then rather than triggering shame or anything by trying to suppress it, we can actually feel proud of ourselves, you know. And that's something that I discovered quite early on was when I started exploring my feelings and I had a feeling that was, you know, what people would perceive as bad or vulnerable or challenging or anything like that. If I let myself feel that and explore it and took care of myself, I started feeling really proud of myself. And then I started associating pride with, with, with struggle. <laughs> and it's, it's happened quite a lot recently where challenging things will happen for me and it'll bring up emotions which are quite strong. And then the more that I'm dealing with them and communicating and taking time for self-care, I'm feeling better and better about having those emotions in the first place and they're less scary to, to be having. <laughs> So if we're in a place where we're starting to do that, does that mean we're less likely to want to cover up those emotions with things like sugar or chocolate or wine or TV or Facebook? <laughs> I think so. For me, that has been what's happened. It's been less about trying to fix the feeling or suppress the feeling or anything like that and just kind of letting it be and just living my normal life. And it's funny with self-care and practices which we engage in when we're not feeling so great, they can be really nurturing and sometimes they are necessary. You know, if I'm feeling, you know, if I'm feeling sad and I, I decide, oh, I'll take a bath or I'll read a book or I'll do something which is positive for me in this moment rather than oh, I'll drink a bottle of wine because I need to dull this feeling. And, you know, I used to engage in quite a few self-care well what I thought were self-care practices but which were actually quite destructive to my life and how I felt and everything like that so it's it's important to be aware and I think mindfulness helps with cultivating general awareness as well of how we do deal with either challenging feelings or challenging thoughts or challenging situations being mindful teaches us to look at it kind of from a bigger perspective and understand a little bit more why we react in the way that we do and to sometimes be able to take a step back and say oh okay I'm feeling like that because of this reason um you know having that level of understanding can be quite helpful for us I think yeah yeah love it now talk to me about busy women because as a woman who's already got too much on my own plate your stuff really speaks to me you know one, because it's bite-sized, and two, because it's really simple and can be worked into a busy day. Uh, how can busy women incorporate mindfulness into their daily lives without feeling like it's one more chore they've just added to their workload? Oh, this is brilliant. I love talking about this. <laughs> um, so what I try to advocate about mindfulness is that it can be integrated into everyday life. And if anything, it makes us a little bit more productive and a little bit more present with the things that we do every day from, you know, tasks like washing the dishes to vacuuming to making the bed to getting dressed to having a shower. All of these things we can actually explore in the present moment and pay attention to our senses. So the information 
um, coming in through our eyes and our ears and our nose, being able to take that time to experience the moment for what it is. And especially if in the past we've judged these moments as bad, you know, I used to hate doing the dishes and think, oh, I don't want to do them. But you kind of just have to do them. You know, it's just one of those things that just has to get done. I've learned they don't do themselves. I tried that approach. They don't. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) But it's actually quite a nice practice now that I can do the dishes and enjoy the warmth of the water and enjoy the smell of the soap and kind of, you know, even that sensation of making something clean can be kind of satisfying if if you just let it be the way that it is and so there are all these kind of everyday little things that we can do but also eating and drinking mindfully is a great way to practice a little bit of mindfulness and also to listen to your body you know when you're feeling hungry or when you're feeling full starting to bring a little bit more awareness to what we actually need maybe we need more sleep maybe we need more exercise maybe we need more water you know being able to listen to ourselves and to hear what we need and then to do those things that we need a little bit more mindfully can just be really rewarding in itself. Um, other, oh, yeah. So what if someone's in like a really loud, noisy house and has three kids hanging off them? What can they do that's mindful? So this is the other thing about mindfulness that I love to talk about is that mindfulness isn't necessarily the same as meditation where you try to kind of empty your mind or anything like that. It's it's focusing on the present moment. So your present moment could be loud, it could be noisy, it could be annoying, it could be frustrating. Um, being able to experience that moment for what it is, is is mindfulness. So you don't need to make it quiet or make it different from what it is at that time. You can just start to listen. You can start to look. You can start to feel things in your body, even if it is bringing up feelings of frustration, you know. Oh, what does frustration feel like to me? And I think that's one of the great things about mindfulness is that we can actually apply it to any different area of our life, even if if it is kind of hectic or if it is kind of busy. Being able to take that time, I guess, just to experience the moment makes it feel a little bit less busy because you're not kind of thinking about the past or the future you're just experiencing that present moment and then moving forward onto the next thing and then the next thing and I don't know I get to the end of the day now and I look back and I think oh wow I actually did quite a lot today but it didn't really feel like it at the time because I was just doing one thing at a time if that makes sense (laughs) yeah so one thing at a time is actually a really good point because I have been meaning to ask you Is multitasking the enemy of mindfulness? It can be, I think. The more distractions that we have, the the more difficult it is to focus on something. And I think that's just true across the board, really. If you're working on five different things, then, you know, everything might sort of get done, but not as well as it could have been. So, yes, I think multitasking does make practicing mindfulness more challenging. It is still possible because, you know, whatever moment we're in, we can just pay attention as much as we can. But I think the more that we are engaging in self-talk and problem solving and things like that, the less kind of space there is just to experience and appreciate. Yeah. 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 So tell me, you mentioned doing the dishes. What are some other examples of mindfulness exercises that we can just go and do? Going for a mindful walk is a really nice thing to do, even if it's just going out to check the mailbox, you know, or going for a little walk around the block with your dog or playing with your kids at the park. You know, we can take these little everyday things that we do 
and just experience them a little bit more and even challenge ourselves to experience them more. You know, sometimes I find that when I commute to work in the morning, which takes me about 45 minutes, I like to notice things that I haven't noticed before. And that's kind of my little, um, I guess, prompt to help me be more mindful because it makes you notice things and it makes you look for things. And all of a sudden, if I'm looking for things that I haven't seen before, then I'm not thinking about the day ahead of me or the day that I had yesterday. I'm just kind of experiencing what's happening right now, if that makes sense. (laughs) That makes total sense. So say if someone's a newbie out there to all of this and they need to start incorporating mindfulness into their day, I, I know that sometimes I can go through a whole day and go, oh, shit, I didn't do any of it today. So do you have any tips on how to remind ourselves in the middle of our busy day to actually do this mindfulness stuff? Like are you a post-it notes girl? Do you set alarms in your phone? I mean you've probably, for you now it's second nature, but what did you do when you were just getting into this? It is quite second nature for me now and the triggers that I have during my day are actually stronger emotions. You know, if I'm feeling very nervous about something or stress is starting to come up I see that as my point oh okay I'll practice some mindfulness now but when I first started I did do a couple of little things I would write on my bananas m-e-m which stands for mindfully eat me (laughs) (laughs) and that was helpful (laughs) so just little things like that you know even if it's if you do want to be mindful when you do the dishes put a little note above the sink just to say mindfully do the dishes or just you know even a picture just something to remind yourself to do that you can set alarms in your phone um, even if you wanted to start with a more formal meditation practice that can be kind of a nice way just to set aside some time to make sure that you do actually do it uh, even if, if even if it's just five minutes to sit down and do a breathing practice, you know there are so many different breathing practices that we can do, and they're really useful because it's a it's a really simple way to bring ourselves into the moment, and we can do them anytime and anywhere. So they're a great a great thing to use. And um, some of my favorite ones are there's one called the breathing waltz, which I learned at the Anxiety Recovery Center, which is just to breathe in for three counts, hold for three counts, and breathe out for three counts just bringing that attention to the breath and its movement going in and out of the body. It sounds so simple, but it's actually a really useful way if you feel your thoughts kind of spiraling out of control or if you're lying in bed at night and you can't switch off or if you're having you know, a bit of an argument with someone, go away and you, know, you can't focus on anything else because you're just so mad. You can take these couple of deep breaths and it just kind of refreshes and refocuses you, I think. For me, that's what I find anyway. And it sounds really easy. Like it's it's not really like you have to learn some new technique or anything. It's like it's all there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can even just pay attention to the breath moving in and out of your body and place one hand over your chest and one hand over your stomach and just feel that slight movement of the breath. It is a really simple thing to practice. And even like before I mentioned going for a mindful walk, When I say going for a mindful walk, there are lots of different ways to do it. You can look for different colors in the world around you. You can smell different things. I like going for a walk at dinner time because you walk past the houses and everything just smells amazing. There's different smells coming from everywhere. And, you know, if you're walking your dog, paying attention to what they're doing and how they're experiencing the world and then just being a bit more curious about finding out new things in somewhere that you might have lived for quite a long time, 
you'll start to notice things that you might not have even noticed before. You can also pay attention to your breath as you're walking, breathing in as you take three steps and breathing out as you take three steps or paying attention to the feeling of your feet as they hit the ground or the movements in your body. It's funny, there's there's so many things that our bodies experience during the day that we don't actually pay that much attention to. You know, even movements of your hands and movements of your feet and if you're sitting down, the feeling of the chair underneath you and supporting you. Yeah, there are lots of different ways to practice. <laughs> it sounds like that it's a good way to get people back in touch with their bodies as well and, and maybe even give them a new appreciation and a new way to love their bodies. Yeah, definitely. And I found that as well. You know, the, the less that I started to judge my body for the way that it was and the more I just started to appreciate it for what it was and the things that it could actually do for me, you know, I became a lot less focused on what I should be or what I want to be or what social media kind of conditions me to want to be. And it just brings me back to the basics, like this is my body, this is who I am. I can appreciate that I've got my health and that I'm, you know, trying to do the best things for taking care of myself, like eating well and drinking water and um, getting enough sleep and things like that and just actually appreciating those those little things and the things which I used to overlook and really take for granted until I was sick or something and then I was like, oh, I you know, wish I was back when I was healthy and then you're healthy and you stop taking that. Um, you start taking that for granted again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what about mindfulness for couples and for families? How do we get our partner and or kids involved without scaring them off and making them think that it's all some kind of woo-woo thing? Yeah, definitely. There are a lot of ways to do this as well. I've read quite a few articles about creative activities that parents can do with their kids because kids just, they are quite naturally mindful. So it's not so much about encouraging them to be mindful because they'll probably be doing it anyway. Um, but sitting down with them and doing a coloring in or a painting or playing music or, you know, writing, teaching them to journal, you know, even though they do things mindfully, you can actually empower them with skills and with tools that they can take through their lives with them because at some point they probably, you know, they will start to be less mindful. So if you encourage them to do these activities and these, um, I guess, these techniques, then they'll still have that even when things do start to change. So creative activities are really good. Going to the park just as a family and spending time together and encouraging, you know, your partner to be there with you, not take technology and even little things like having a technology-free night where you all sit around the dinner table and you eat dinner together and you talk about the different flavors or you um, talk about your day. Mindful conversations is one thing that I do like to recommend to people because it it helps us to nurture our relationships. And I think it's funny because we live in this world where we have so many potential connections, almost so many that it's overwhelming for us and we're distracted by all these different connections that we have with people you know you can be talking to your partner about their day and be you know commenting on someone's Instagram photo about how it looks or um, on the phone to somebody else or answering an email there's just there's so many different ways to connect with people so and this is what um, it comes down to multitasking as well. You know, finding one person to connect with at one time can be a really, 
I would say a beneficial way to practice mindfulness because it teaches us to be present with this one person, to give them our attention, to give them the space to talk. We can ask interesting questions and reflect and it's made a real difference for me because I did used to be one of those people that would be quite distracted a lot of the time. So taking intentional time to spend with the people that I care about and connect with them without the other distractions was a really meaningful way for me to practice mindfulness and to yeah strengthen my relationships yeah that's so important so important it's it's interesting that um going back into practice after a couple of years off uh as a naturopath uh there was a lot more technology around than you know i was only out of it for a few years and i came back and everyone's got a phone everyone's got this and that but it was interesting that i think being a naturopath in in this climate now has actually been beneficial to kind of make me more mindful for my friends because if I'm sitting with a client I can't open Facebook and have a sneaky look you can't like you have to be 100% there with your client when you're asking all the questions about their health and their well-being so it's it has kind of trained me my my job's trained me to hopefully start to do that around my friends as well although you know we're all guilty of having a cheeky look at Facebook I'm sure when we're hanging out with our pals but yeah it it's interesting the it does feel very different when you're sitting with someone and there is no other technology around and it really is just you and them with no other distractions it is a whole different vibe yeah I love that you mentioned that I I totally agree you know maybe it's it's a bit of a tip to start treating your relationships like it is kind of a session with a client or, um, you know, even a job interview or something like that where you need to be giving someone your full attention and you need to be listening to the things that they're saying. And it's funny because when I was studying psychology, they taught us mindful listening skills. You know, who would have thought that you had to learn how to, how to listen? <laughs> but there are a lot of things that you can actually do, you know, even down to the really simple things like making eye contact and using body language as you talk to show the interested leaning forward slightly towards the person that's talking and uncrossing your legs or uncrossing your arms because they're quite closed positions and just opening up the body a little bit more to be more receptive to the person that you're talking to. And then being able to reflect, you know, listen to something that someone is telling you and then put it into your own words and kind of ask, is this, have I got this right? Or is this how you're feeling? Or it sounds to me like you're feeling like this. Is that right? being able to check in with people and they feel so much more validated and understood and heard. And I think that's a really important thing that it's it's kind of lacking in today's society a little bit. So being able to do that, especially in our close relationships, is something that's really important. Yeah, I like how you, you just said people just, you know, about being heard because I think people just want to be heard. Like that's it's half the struggle at the moment. I, I feel that people don't feel heard i think we should throw a bit of a challenge out to our lovely listeners today that how about the next person you know the next social interaction that you have today the next person you meet and come in contact with how about you practice some of this stuff like don't look at your phone don't look around make eye contact ask the right questions you know let them know that you acknowledge them you know adopt a more open body position and, and I love that, you know, that it sounds to me like you're feeling or, you know, so repeat back to them what you've heard from them. Make sure you've got it right. And then report back. Tell us how that went. I would really love to know whether it changed your day at all. 
Yeah, I would love to hear that as well. And, you know, sometimes the feedback that we get from the other person when we really listen to them can feel amazing. You know, when I am talking to a colleague at work and they're having a bit of a stressful day and I take the time to listen to them and to help them kind of work through the things that they need to work through just in their own mind so that they can be more prepared to go back into their work. It can make such a difference to people's days and you can see that in their faces and the way that they thank you maybe later on. It can be really powerful stuff. So I love that you've set this challenge because I think it's something that we we do need to do a little bit more intentionally sometimes and it makes a big difference. Yeah. I love it. And it doesn't have to be a friend. It might just be someone that you're randomly talking to in line somewhere. I don't know. It doesn't have to be a close friend. Just try it on the next person that you have an interaction with. See how you go. Yeah, definitely. That's great. Yay! Now, Rachel, you've got a wonderful ebook and some really cool resources on your website to help people get started. And we have to mention the podcast again as well. Can you uh, run us through where people can connect with you, please? Yeah, definitely. So my website is at www.rachelcable.com and pretty much everything's on there. It's a bit of a platform for finding me on Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest and my podcast is there. Uh, it can also be downloaded on iTunes and Stitcher and, you know, you can send me an email or reach out on social media. I love to hear from new people and what they might have learned or, you know, a practice that they might have tried. It always makes my day to hear that. So, yeah, come over to the website and go from there. (laughs) Yep. And I'll put all the links in the show notes, of course. But may I just say, if you're one of those podcast people who's driving, listening to podcasts, and it's a bit crazy out there on the road, and you're feeling a little bit road (laughs) rage-ish, the person right here, right now, she has a very soothing, soothing voice on this podcast. So yeah, if you you need a bit of a 10 minute calm down on the road, highly recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's classic. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, those people keep cutting me off. I know what I need. I need some Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. So many people have said that to me and it's, it's not how I used to perceive my voice at all. I thought I had a really annoying kind of voice and... Yeah, so many people have said that they listen just because it's really soothing and calming. So it's funny, but, you know, whatever helps. (laughs) I know, right? I know. You never know. You never know what your hidden talent is until a bunch of people come and tell you. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. I've learned so much and it's just been wonderful chatting with you. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Jules. You asked so many great questions. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed that wonderful interview with Rachel Cable and I hope you came away from that with some really cool insights on mindfulness. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you stick around, hit subscribe because I'll be coming back every single week with more cool stuff. Also, if you're after some cool recipes, health tips, all kinds of amazing stuff, including a free guide to healing your adrenals, head over to julesgalloway.com now. There's heaps of stuff there for you. I'll see you next week. Have a beautiful week. Stay mindful and bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.